Hey everybody, this is Marina, your podcast host at Unbossed. Here we go. At Unbossed, I interview amazing women in Chicago. There's so much woman power in this city that I want to provide these women a platform to tell their story. Please connect with us and please consider supporting by sharing, liking, commenting the podcast. Tell all your Netflix friends and family about it. Submit a recommendation for our guest. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and donate by clicking on the anchor link and help me continue to make great episodes. I hope you enjoy and welcome to the show. Alicia Valigi is a platform lead at day one D1, a former venture associate for Techstars, founder of The Close Round, to break down the black box around early stage VC. I met Alicia while we were both attending a fellowship uh, through Get Cities for venture capitalists. I am super excited to have her on the podcast. Listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Unbossed. Today, my guest is Alifia Valigi. She is the founder at Closed Round. Welcome, Alifia. Thanks, Marina. And thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am super excited, too. So um, officially, we met through um, uh, this fellowship that we did together this summer, uh, summer of 2021. Uh, we were together in a VC fellowship sponsored by Get Cities. Um, yeah, I can definitely give the summary, but I think it's more interesting if I hear it from you because I've never heard this from you. But do you wanna do you wanna tell me about like uh, what Get Cities is in Chicago? If you know, if if you know, and then I can fill in the gaps. But um, and also like, how did you apply for that fellowship? Yeah, absolutely. So Get Cities, their whole mission is to bridge the gap for underrepresented folks in tech and now VC. Uh, they've had a presence in Chicago, I believe, for a while now. And now they're deci- they're going into how do we help, again, underrepresented women, people of color to join VC and be a part of that community from the other side. So not just as founders, but as folks who you know could be potential funders one day. And they believe that it started with scouts and allowing, in the traditional model, scouts don't actually get uh, paid or compensated for their work right off the bat, Get Cities kind of turned that upside down on their feet and said, "We'll pay you to scout for a couple couple months this summer, um, and also give yeah. you education along with it." So, yeah, I think that's that's what that's what it is, and I feel very fortunate I, to have come across yeah. and applied for it. Uh, I saw Chris Wu, who's uh, a senior associate at Impact Engine, post about his initiative. We've we've been friends for a while, and he's you know shared it with me to see if there were other people who would be interested too, threw my name in the hat and here we are. That's awesome. Uh, And one thing that I would add is for people that do not know Get Cities, um, this is a foundation that started uh, with um, Melinda Gates uh, funding, uh, which is super important because she started Chicago and DC first. Uh, which I thought was interesting, given that she didn't go directly into the coasts or West Coast, let's say, because the sea is a coast, but um, traditionally New York and and California. Uh, And I was super excited to see her invest into the Midwest as one of the key first places. Did you... um, um, did, did you ever thought about it that way? Or did, how do you how do you think about like investments and and funding and capital in the Midwest in general? Yeah, I mean, it's growing. I think 
everyone, if you're in the VC space, you know that more exceptional founders are coming out of cities like, you know, Chicago, um, even, you know, in, Mil- in Milwaukee, in Detroit, you have to keep your eyes on there, which is clear by the number of VC funds that are popping up in the Midwest saying we only invest in the Midwest. And even funds from, you know, the South and the Southeast will say, yeah, we'll invest in the Southeast and the Midwest. So I think uh, folks in New York and SF and LA, you know, traditionally more popular number, I think it's like 70% of VC funding used to go to founders in those cities. And I think that number every year reports come out and it's shifting and it's shifting more. So uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of the Midwest venture capital ecosystem as a founder and I'm sure as an investor, uh, because there's not a day where you're, you know, you're not like finding a new, a new piece of talent or a new opportunity that someone else isn't exactly looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Okay. Well, um, I kind of like turned this thing around a little bit, uh, but before we continue talking about the rest of our conversations, like give me a story about Alifia and like, tell us, give us context about you, you, you and who you are and where did you grow up? Yeah, totally. So I'll start, I guess, at the way at the beginning. Um, I was actually born in Mumbai, uh, India. My family immigrated here when I was one and a half. We live, if you're familiar with Devon Avenue in Chicago, that's definitely where we started and, and lived there for about a year. So I think it's still known oh, as that's beautiful. You know, little India. Yeah, yeah. Little India. It's great to see <laughs> how idea. much it's grown. Um, yeah, I mean, you yeah. look at the Patel brothers. I just saw it on Instagram actually, where it was <laughs> when we moved here, and now they're like a multinational chain. It's oh, is it is it the new the new one? Is it open yet? Yeah, did they yeah. open up the new store? Oh, I'm so excited! Yeah, it's uh, open before COVID. Um, yeah, and you know they were just a little store, and and now they're so big. Yeah. So anyway, that's where it was where we first started when we moved here. That's cool. Um, I yeah lived here with my my mom, my dad, my younger brother, um, and went to a very very diverse high school. Moved to Des Plaines, Illinois. High school was in Parkridge, um, and it's called Maine East High School. If you're familiar with the area, um, there were 70 different languages cumulatively spoken by the students at Maine. So yeah, it was like a party. Like lunch was you know potluck. <laughs> there was no there was no majority. So when I went to you know went to Emory after that and. I would hear a lot about um, uh, culture shock and there was a culture shock, but it was reverse culture shock for me. Um, Yeah, it was very, it was very interesting. Um, And I I feel fortunate because at Mainese, there was a program called the Schuler Scholar Program funded by Jack Schuler, who's actually Illinois based. Um, His whole goal is to help high school students who traditionally underrepresented or, you know, low, low income minority students, get on the same level playing field as other students. So shout out to Jack because this foundation has changed, I mean, hundreds of lives. I think it's now in 12 or 13 different high schools across Illinois. Wow. Um, and they invest a lot in you while you're in high school. So you go to operas and plays and have etiquette dinners and just all the things you probably wouldn't if you're, you know, a first generation student living in, in this plane going to Maine. So that was huge. They took us on 19 different college tours, would not have even heard about Emory had I not been in the program. So yeah, I just want to take this time to thank thank Jack and the whole Schuler family. I think they are, I mean, they're an Illinois-based foundation that's really changing a lot of lives. So I I, I love that. That's that's really, really cool. What about looking back at your... um, and absolutely, like, uh, by the way, that this program sounds amazing. Um, kudos to them for thinking about it that way. It's really, really cool. 
Um, and I was I was interested to hear about like all the different languages and and the culture shock. And, and then looking back, can you tell me a little bit more about it? So, what was that culture shock? And what learnings did you get from that experience from super diverse high school to Emory University, which is what totally I don't know. I don't know what's the demographic of Emory. It's, it is pretty diverse, I would say, um, but it is thirty percent. Uh, white and Jewish. So that was a little okay. different uh, because my high school, again, there was truly no majority. Um, and even if, I guess, if you if you were white, you were probably a first generation immigrant from Eastern Europe. So that was the makeup wow. of the school. Um, and it was, it was interesting because I, I, I guess you're all, oh, you're in a bubble, right? You, I mean, I guess my entire district was like that. So all the way from elementary to high school. So it felt very natural to me going to Emory, realizing that not everybody had that experience. So when I would mention, for example, Eid or Diwali or mm. Ramadan or, you know, any other holiday that wasn't traditionally on the American <laughs> calendar system, I would get questions like, oh, what is that? And for the first couple of times I would get asked, I'd be like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? You don't know? Like, I've never had to explain this before. And, and <laughs> like almost a privilege, right, to be able to be surrounded by people from all over, to know these different holidays for different cultures. So that's, I think that's what I refer to as a little bit of culture shock. And I'm sure for them on the flip side, um, it's like, oh, I've never had to even think about the fact that Muslim students have to take days off, whereas I might just get the day off. So it was small things, small things like that. Um, but I loved my Emory experience. And I think a lot of part of my high school experience stayed with me at, through Emory. I, when I was deciding where to study abroad, it wasn't even a question in my mind. I knew I had to go to Eastern Europe because I'd grown up with so many Eastern European friends or folks that had come from there um, and just wanted to understand better uh, where they where they grew up. And it was just amazing to get to to get to go do that for six months and study in Budapest. Uh, so I think it kind of oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's so awesome, and um, and then uh, and then you graduated college, um, went to Budapest, had a whole international experience, graduated college, and then I don't want to necessarily like uh, you know like minimize your accomplishments here, but I want to kind of get to the kind of gets to close round yeah. right? and, and how you funded it. And so like, talk to me through about like, how did you looking back again from now? Like what was your path to getting to close round and really being ready to like starting your own company? Yeah. So I think I've known that I wanted to either build a company or help the builders build a company. Thankfully, since high school. So I've known that I went to Emory to study business because it had an undergrad business school. So it's always mm -hmm. been something that I've been really passionate about. I was in DECA writing business plans. I think that was my first. Wow, this is so awesome. I get to kind of control and create and be creative about all these different parts of a business and wear many different hats. So I think having that in the back of my mind, I look, I just look at everything from a what's the problem here and can we fix it perspective. Mm. So when I graduated, I started my career in investment banking, uh, did that for about a year-ish. I was at Industrials M&A. It was a great experience. I think I learned so many like just financial skill sets, but more importantly, also how to get things done just very efficiently. Um, and I, and that's <laughs> kind of where my operations brain really started to, to turn a little bit, which leads me to while I was there, I was still looking at, you know, I'd have, I'd have my banking stuff open, but I'd have TechCrunch open right on the next side. 
you realize <laughs> maybe I should really start thinking about what's next for me. Um, I'd be talking to a lot of analysts and associates at VC funds, under trying to understand what their roles are. And mm-hmm. over time, I'd ask them, like, what's the most difficult part about, about your job in an in informational interview? And most of them would kind of respond back and, and say, you know, sometimes it feels very administrative because you're going through your email, you're sending calendar invites, you're making sure the files are in the right place at the right time. So I was like, okay, that's very interesting. Thanks. Didn't really think much of it. Um, I did find an opportunity to join Techstars Boston's team with Clem yeah. and Jen um, last year, so during during the pandemic. And I took the leap, joined yeah. the team. It was supposed to be a three-month rotation associate role, venture associate role. I ended up staying for nine. But I think it was really at Techstars when the idea for Close Round really started to foster in my mind. When I realized, you know, there isn't a great way right now for all the companies, the early stage companies who are looking for funding to get in front of all the investors who are interested in finding them. And even at Techstars, uh, you know, sometimes we'd get an email from a great founder and unfortunately it would slip through our inbox and we wouldn't be able to get back to them. And then we realized a couple of months later, like, oh man, that was a great founder and a great company. And they had reached out to us. We just didn't, we just didn't act on it at the time. So that realized that was happening in a lot of different VC funds and a lot of different places um, so I got on a hundred calls basically with investors and I was already talking to so many founders about their fundraising experience and over and over it came up. It's so confusing at the earliest stages as founders, we don't know where to start. We don't know which investors to look for. And for investors, it was, you know, we have a lot of inbound, don't necessarily know how to control that really, really well. Or if we're a newer fund, how do we build our brand and get on the same level as other experienced funds to get in front to get our foot in the door with founders and get in on their deals so it was a very interesting it felt like they were just needed to be like kind of a connector of the dots and i started testing yeah. closed round with a couple of techstars uh companies from different accelerators uh without any building of the software at the time so oh nice and how did you do that yeah, so I told a couple companies, let me try to help you. The first thing was, all right, you need to create a, a list of investors who might be a good fit for you, right? So how do you even, and I was like, I'll put myself in your shoes. How do you do that? So you scrape all the lists. I actually decided <laughs> to just scrape the internet and got some help from a friend who was a data uh, and software engineer, literally wrote script. We got all this information about investors, basic information, at least geography, where they invest uh, industries. And ran like a very simple like manual algorithm to cut down to 30, 30 investors. I tried to get it down to 30. And at the time I was still clicking on every single website link, making sure it was a good fit, sent it to the founders and they would say, okay, this is great, but now what? Uh, and I was like, all right, what would I do now? Probably send these investors an email, but not a traditional text email. So I got on Canva and created little index cards for each company, like very minimal information, did not include their name, only their background, um, and included the most basic things that an investor might want to know just to say yes to a meeting. So my goal at the time was like, let's just get you in front of an investor. Let's get you in a meeting. So I sent these cards out to investors who I thought would be a good fit. And I asked them a very simple question. Would you like to meet the founder, track them for later, or just pass on them? Respond in one word. You don't have to give me an explanation. And investors would respond. And more of them would say, okay, I'll meet them. I promised that if you said meet, I'll send you the calendar invite, I'll upload their pitch deck, and you'll have everything you need to have a, a successful meeting. So that was really the the no-code testing, and we were just looking at results on, you know, were more investors saying yes? And the other thing we were measuring is, 
did the founders know everybody we introduced them to? And the answer was no. They didn't know 70% of the folks on the list. So there was a clear opportunity there from in my perspective. That's awesome. And so how many meets were you able to produce if you have any any stats around that? Yeah, we had about 65 meetings take place when we were just testing it without any software. And two of the companies actually hadn't met the investor and they went all the way through the syndicate um, the angel syndicate and another one was a fund um, and got to the like final round of like review from from the GP. So it was really it was really exciting. Whoa, that's huge! Yeah, out of how many companies do you think we only worked with like fifteen or fifteen? To oh wow, that's like really good. Yeah, I mean it was apparently. literally just me like hand making these cards and finding these <laughs> investors and sending the emails. I was using tools like Mixmax and Airtable, but it was still and it still had I still had a job, two jobs actually. I was a day woman at the time and TechStars, so. Yeah, we kept wow. it limited and it felt like a good enough MVP pilot test to start trying to make it a little bit more scalable over time. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. Tell us, where are you taking um where are you taking um closure next? So sorry, let me let me backtrack. This is where you started with the MVP, right? Tell me where you are now. Okay. We are, uh, we've launched our private beta. So in February of this year, decided to work with a dev team. We switched dev teams actually in July. So working with another team to actually build out like an MVP version of the product where investors can do four things, meet the founder, track them for later, share with another investor or pass. So that was our MVP. Like if those four things are happening, that's good. We're doing, we're building the right thing. Um, right now there, there are founders and investors both testing it. One thing we realized was accelerators should be a part of this community as well because they have yeah. a huge incentive to help their founders fundraise. And right now, every accelerator, okay. if you look at LinkedIn, is hiring investor relations or hiring for a, a person who can recreate this investor list. So if we can just use the power mm-hmm. of, okay, these, this is the most updated database. This is the most updated algorithm. We'll help you. We'll help you, accelerator, help your companies find the right investors for them and make it way easier for you to see how it's going and track it. Um, that's where we're going. Uh, that's where we are, you know, pivoting towards right now, which is really exciting because you get to launch with some great, great partners. Day one, of course, being one of them, Visible Hands being another. So I think right now we're just, you know, f- kind of finalizing this version one to roll out our public beta. So right now you still have to get a private link from me to access the platform because we're we're all still testing uh, and to figure <laughs> you know, all the good stuff when you're I building a software company as a non-technical solo founder. Uh, but we're excited don't, about Don't that. worry. I'm going to I'm gonna convince Alifia to give us a few beta calls. So we, <laughs> yeah, if you're absolutely. listening... would love to. If you're listening, I'm going to add the code into the description. <laughs> and hopefully she, you'll, she'll let you in. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, for sure. Okay. So uh, this is such great, uh, insight into what it takes to develop a startup. Like this is, this is awesome. And so cool. This is like, you're, you're, you're building your tech stack, you're creating your customer and your demand and your supply. Um, I love that it's a platform. Like, I feel like that's definitely in right now and aligned with, more modern technologies, which is really cool. Um, and then there's a clear like value exchange amongst the, 
you know, startups that are looking for something and then the VCs that are looking for something else. Um, where are you going? Like, what is maybe short term and long term? So if you had to give me like, okay, short term, this is where we're going next. And then, but if I had to give me like pie in the sky dream, where would you take this? And then I won't hold you to it, but I just want to hear no, it. Of course. <laughs> of course. So our, our North Star is to bring access and transparency to the early stage VC ecosystem. So that's the long-term goal, right? Is that we just keep pushing on that. And what does that really look like many, many years down the line? It's, you know, we want to be the first place founders go when they're first thinking about raising capital. Where do I start? You start here and you might have a, many different ways to, to go about it in the future, but we don't want you to feel like you can't build your company because you don't have a friends and family around that you can raise because not everybody can do that. You know, we, we want you to feel like you can start here and there's at least going to be 30 <laughs> investors who are excited about meeting you. And same yeah. thing with Let's, VCs. Let me like pause there for a second. Like, I'll let you continue for a second, but you said something like really important is like, um, hey, not everybody has friends and family around. No, absolutely. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even think I could have built closed round if I hadn't used my savings from like ba- my banking days. Right. So it's, yeah. if you hadn't had, you know, a job where you could save a lot and afford, like yeah. just have some kind of privilege in that way, like where, how do you even get, how do you even pay for the software fees that it takes to have no, no code tools to test your MVP? So yeah. There has to be another way. And I think there are plenty of people out there, great angels, great investors who are who are willing to, to invest at the riskiest, earliest stages. It's just connecting those yeah. people to the right, right people. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So awesome. So just to put you back on track, you want to be the first place where people go where when they are very early stage and they're looking for those angel investors, those RBI early investors, um, um, and you want to be that platform, right? The place where everybody knows that that's where you want to go. Yeah, the most trusted, trust is really big for us. The most trusted trust. platform, if there's not a lot of noise on the platform, we really value quality. Um, so that's the North Star, but even more though, like, and we'll come back yeah. to short term. Right now it's VCs, accelerators, and founders. Yeah, you expand that a little bit. Now there's angels and now there's LPs who are trying to find great GPs to invest in, right? Like what is LPs and GPs? So LP is a limited partner. These are people that have usually, you know, have money to invest in a bunch of different, I guess, methods of making a return on their money. So they could be investing in the stock market. They could be investing in, you know, other like real estate venture capital is just one other path for them to be putting their money into to see an outsized return, hopefully. Um, and they are always looking for which VC funds do I want to put my money in? And of course, for them, a lot of them, the top 10 come to mind because that's what they know. But there are, I mean, I think at least 250 uh, funds now that are under 20 million that just need the exposure that need to be connected to those LPs. So I think it's just mm. going down the chain and creating transparency and access across the board at the earliest stage of venture capital. Oh, I love it. And then GPs, you also mentioned. Yeah, so GPs are general partners. These are the individuals who are kind of running the ship at the VC fund. Uh, they are, you know, they're probably usually the last call to decide if an investment is going to be made into a startup. They're, they're the middleman between an LP who's giving them their money and trusting them to make them a return and the 
sometimes the really, you know, intimidating individual who decides if a startup is going to get the funding from them. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an exciting job, but a heavy responsibility because they also have, you know, fiduciary responsibility to somebody else. It's not like they're just doing yeah. it purely off of their interest, which actually brings me to the point. A lot of GPs and a lot of investors have like they, they can't help it. They have angel portfolios, too, because they'll see a company that's not a great fit for their funds. <laughs> they're like, I think you're so great. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> you, so then all of a sudden, these people are tools in the ecosystem. So. Uh, I can't wait. I wanna. I my wish is to have angel access to your platform because um, I I'm very particular about companies. But when I find one that I'm in love with, I'm just like, okay, gotta do I, it. It's you. Yeah, I gotta do it. Uh, I don't think I can have a portfolio of companies, but definitely like one or two that are like yeah, a handful probably more than two that I'm really like into. I would love to do. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get you on there. Which which brings me yeah which brings me to like a different point um, is so um, is there a way that you see a future in which the same way we have democratized stock investments to uh, major markets right. So it, it, it used to be like something like um, only for the few, now for the masses. Yeah. Do you see your platform and or something like it, whether it's you or somebody else doing it, also going the same route where we are democratizing investments into startups from only the few elite that have you know, money or whatever to, um, uh, to the masses and, and then people like really betting on specific company that they like. Definitely. I think the, I think there are many folks in the industry that are working and pushing to help us get there. There are currently platforms already that are allowing, you know, check sizes as low as $1,000 into startups that they've, they've run their criteria and they've vetted. Um, WeFunder is one of them. Um, Republic is another. So some of these platforms, though, do have like kind of restrictions. So Republic, you you ideally want to have 100K MRR already before you are on the platform. Um, and they run their own, again, they run their own process to see if you can even be on the platform. So I think, yes, there are. And then I'm sure I missed many others that are also trying to democratize VC access, especially now that being an accredited investor is you can be in a, it's easier than ever to say that you're an accredited investor. So those guidelines, what do you do? Um, but in an effort to, I think, you know, I think I, 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 I'm happy to hear that they've been loosened because, yeah. you know, for someone who is, let's say, let's just call let's say a fight, a banker or a consultant who's 24, you might not have, the, the, the wealth that you need to be one, but they have taken all the series exams and are very familiar with, you know, the concept of a return on your investment and should be able to participate in, in the venture capital market. Yeah. Uh, so happy about it. You know, very excited that, that that's happening and that's what's allowed democratization to happen. Yeah. And how does one become, what does one have to be an accredited investor in order to invest into companies? You have to have taken, you have to, it's very, it's a very loose definition now. You have to feel, or you have to say that you are, you have the financial understanding and knowledge and understand the risks that you are taking 
in investing in a type of uh, type of tool or type of vehicle for investment that uh, isn't it, it, basically you have to understand the risks. You just have to claim understand <laughs> the risks and you can do it. Um, That's awesome. So basically, like it's a checkbox. checkbox. Anybody can do it. This is like we're gonna make another Robin Hood for our startups. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't already checked out Sweater Ventures. They're, they actually yeah. are working with the SEC to come up with a whole new model um, and are allowing anyone to be an LP, even if you're not super wealthy and have, you know, a lot of money, you can invest. I don't know what their minimum check size is, but I don't know if they have one either. You just put in whatever amount that you would like to, and they're using, it's a rolling fund, so they'll keep investing, and it's an app. They've also created an app for their own fund, and you can see how it's going. Um, you can add more. It's subscription-based. You can say, I only want to invest thousand dollars a month i want to make it less so i think there's a lot of people out there that are democratizing trying to democratize investments into vc and allow individuals who aren't the one percent to take advantage of the returns that come from you know an uber and airbnb um i think what closed round does is removes the again the operational barriers the warm introduction Mm. from the founder's side to have access to even get on these platforms, you know, to even be seen mm-hmm. by these investors who are interested. So no warm intro required. Hopefully won't get ghosted because it's on their dashboard. You're on the same playing field. If you're, if you're a company that has not gone through YC, your card looks very similar to a company that has gone through YC. They're just tagged with that. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're like, you're it, basically we're just removing all the friction uh, from the operational process of getting a meeting. So. We think the more Love people it. that get meetings, the higher the chance of them being invested in. That is so cool. How do you plan to monetize? So our monetization strategy right now is going to be subscription-based for accelerators, investors, and for founders, a very small like activation fee and, again, minimal monthly fee, just so we can, you know, with quality skin in the game, encourage them to come back show their progress, log their progress in the tracking updates. Um, so yeah, very simple. We, we know things are already complex out there for founders. We're going to keep it very simple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, awesome. And um, did we talk about, uh, did you, did you mention everything you wanted to talk about in terms of short-term foreclosure round? Um, did you have anything else you wanted to share? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if, if you're listening to this podcast and are wanting to get involved with a company that's really trying to level the playing field in the early stage ecosystem, we're totally looking for partners. Um, all the corporate, uh, all the corporate funds out there who, you know, really want to help innovation. This is a great way to help. So come chat with me. Let's find a way to partner and we'd love to continue the conversation. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, and then I will leave your contact in the description as well. So everybody can uh, reach out to you on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, um, and um, yeah. Okay. So one last question, um, because we never talked about it. How was your experience within the VC Scout program? What did you think about it? Um, uh yeah, like I'll share mine too if you want to, but I wanted to hear your opinion. How did it go? What do you think about it? Yeah, the whole time I was like, we, but when the program started, Close Rounds wasn't completely built, but the whole time I was like, I wish it was already there because we could have used it to find great companies and share mm. it with investors very effectively. I think one of the things um, that I loved about the program was 
how many resources we were given in terms of, you know, here's a list of all the investors in the Midwest. What potentially we didn't necessarily have was, okay, but how do you introduce yourself to these investors with credibility? And in what format do you share? How much do you share? How much information do you share? And all the research that we'd done, I knew it was, you know, keep it short, put an image in, ask them for a one word answer, like all of those things. Um, I wish we could have talked a little bit more about those things, but overall I thought, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Get more scouts who are diverse in the game and they have more opportunities to join VC funds because they have experience to do it. We're already seeing returns with some of our fellow fellows. So I think their mission's working. I love it. Yeah. My experience was um, a little bit different. I was telling actually Chris about this as I hated scouting, which is a great experience to have where it's like, I talked to, um, two things that come out of it that I think were really positive. It's like, I love talking to women founders. So people like you, right. Um, and, and I am sure 100% that I want to, I'm going to be investing in, uh, companies, uh, uh, or tech companies, startups led by women. That, that was like, I found my niche, right? Like, I don't care. I'm industry agnostic. I don't care what, as long as I kind of understand the industry and I get to know you and you're awesome and you're a woman identifying person, I'm going to be invested in you. Um, the other side was like, oh, I just hate, I just don't like scouting at all. Like I felt like a, a, a wheel, right? Like a hamster wheel. So I'm so happy for platforms like yours. I felt like that job could definitely get automated. Like, you know, I'm a techie, right? And so anything that can be automated, I'm like, this, I don't need a a human to be doing this. This does not seem like a value add. Uh, This can be a thing that we can automate nowadays and just get it done. Why do I need to do this? Like I can find, I can find the, the, the cool companies, but I don't need to do the whole operational stuff with introduction and nah, nah, nah. I just like that should be done kind of thing. That's great to hear. <laughs> wow. Maybe I should just take you with me everywhere. And be like, this is my pitch. <laughs> yeah. This, this one, one intro- tried it. <laughs> yeah. You forget to make one intro and boom, like that link could have been it. Yeah. So I totally, yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard. Even like we had Chicago venture week. Yeah. And I have all these follow-ups I want to do. And I'm just sitting here like, gotta get uh, you up. You gotta do it. You <laughs> have to make it happen. But email, it can't be like, your job can't just be sifting through email and forwarding chains. It's, it's not yeah. fun anymore to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are some things that get lost into it. Right. So like, one of the things that I loved about the program was like, it gave me opportunity to talk to founders, but what I loved about it was really like giving them feedback, probing questions, um, giving them feedback on the pitches or on their like one page or image. Yeah. Um, not necessarily the whole rest of the, like you said, the administration stuff. And so like spending, having people spending more time on the value add things, what I call versus the non-value add, um, not that introductions are not important. That's not what I'm saying. It's just the action of the introduction that takes a long time. That is not as value add and in the supply chain, in my opinion, that can be automated. Um, okay. and so, yeah, definitely like, um, 
that that's something that experience was like i told i told him i was like i hate scouting <laughs> this is not a thing that i'm gonna i'm not gonna do it in the future yeah um, also three months is it's stuck it's really difficult because you know you're just yeah. beginning to have all these great conversations you're building relationships with founders maybe yeah. in a few months it'll be ready for investment or you'll have a place for them to to share with but then the program yes. over so i think maybe extending the timeline um could be a great way to help yeah um uh, but, and, uh, but one of the things that I also really loved was getting access to VC University, which is a Berkeley program um, that gave us um, a certification as, as um, in, in, in understanding VC and the economics of it. Uh, and that was really awesome, like getting that education and getting the knowledge of like, what are all of these things and how do they all play together? Um, but yeah, that was that was so cool. Yeah, understanding fund economics, like unless you took that <laughs> class in in college or somewhere else, no one the, no one really talks about fund economics. It's like we have to be able to understand how much VC funds can bet on, how much they can afford to lose, all of these things. And yeah, I would love for that to be more of a a, a less black box thing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, awesome. All right, so you're gonna help me with my startup. I'm so excited! Yeah, you told me a lot of startup, and like I got yeah jitters. Yeah, all right, we're, all right. So where do we start? Okay, so first, tell me, you know, why you are the, the right person to build, like whatever you think you're building, and then go into what was the problem you found, and how are you gonna solve it? Okay, so um, a few years ago, I was in a really bad place I was getting I was actually I wasn't a great place I was not in a really bad place but it was a tough time it was both bad and, bad and good I was um getting a divorce I was changing my job it was COVID um and everything came together and at the same time I enrolled into a coaching program which helped me it was a year-long courtship certification program and I became a coach um, and help me really um, navigate successfully through all of these things that were happening in my life. And I say that if that was not the support I had, um, I would have struggled a lot more through all of those things, right? Yeah. And I had a great coach, and it was just great. And so I thought... Um, I want to be able to give this experience to more people, but I don't want them to, one of the biggest, to me, one of the biggest frictions about coaching is you need to find somebody that matches with right. you, right? Because it's an interpersonal relationship. And so I said, I want to introduce people to coaching before they match with a coach and understand where they're coming from and give them the ability to get coached. Um, even before they talk to somebody. So my idea is to create a platform that uses AI machine learning to get people started off on coaching without having to talk to anybody. And this could be leadership coaching as well as some life coaching. I'm thinking about seeing a little bit more leadership first um, and personal in some ways because all those things are all related. Um, and, um, because of the current mental health, uh, situation in the country and how much people are needing help right now, 
um, I found that coaching has been one of the most sought after or, or one of those industries that have really boomed in the last year or year and a half. Um, and, and at the same time, it's hard, it's hard to find a person that, that you really like. So step one, um, get it into this platform that really like speaks to a person, um, through AI and really like gets to coach, gets to like intro to coaching. And then phase two would be like, after that, like match you with somebody that, or with a few possibility of people that would be a good fit for what you're looking for. Got it. So is the initial phase, um, like a robot almost that you're chatting with? Yeah. I don't want to say it like that because it sounds weird, (laughs) but, (laughs) but yes, yeah, you're, you're not. So here's the thing that, that comes to mind with that is like, you're not, you're talking not to a robot, but you're talking to yourself. Right. And that's really what goes in the heart of coaching is like, you're really like, you have all the answers within you. You just need someone to get, to ask you the right questions. And so that's part of why um, the robot is non-relevant in this conversation is because you're really talking to yourself and figuring that out. That is really cool. Um, And yeah, I totally agree that a coach makes a really big difference when you're going through some of the more tough, difficult parts of of transitioning to whatever is next. Um, Very cool. How are you thinking about, like, if you had to break this down and think about what's the most basic way you could test this idea, or have you done customer, have you done customer discovery interviews? I guess that's even, even one step further back. Um, with people that you think might be interested in coaching or flirting with the idea and asking them, you know, how are you currently solving? How are you currently getting through these tough times? And did you land on that conclusion after speaking to a lot of people? Oh, I have not done it. So this is why I'm here talking to you, right? I'm like, okay, so where do I go next? (laughs) I have this idea. What do I do next? (laughs) No, totally. do Do I talk to people? Do I think if it's even feasible? Do I build a no-code prototype? What do people do next? Yeah. So, I mean, you don't want to build anything until you know that there's someone who's going to buy it, pay for it, get buy it, it yeah. at the end, right? So definitely, I mean, holy grail, a customer discovery interviews. Like that is just the best thing because those people eventually turn into clients if you do decide to go build whatever you whatever it is. So you've identified this problem, right? That finding the coach that matches your personality and matches your, the way you think is it, difficult. So that's the problem that you haven't, it's, it's a hypothesis, an assumption. You need to validate that if that's even true. Everything, that's what I realized. Everything in your business is going to be an assumption until you've proved, not proven, but like gotten to yeah. a very solid, like, yes, then you move forward with conviction. So yeah, go out there, talk to people who are leaders, leadership coaching, who are transitioning to becoming leaders. Hey, how are you currently thinking about this transition? Um, what do you, how do you currently decide what the right steps are for your career? How, what, what's the current thing they're doing? And then what are the challenges with that? So you're not even telling them your idea at all. You're giving them not, no, you're giving them nothing. You're just hearing what their pain points are. And you might realize like the initial problem that you had, or you thought that existed, it might be slightly different than what it really was initially in your head. Mm. And now the solution doesn't have to maybe be AIML. It could be something a little bit different that you could test out sooner. So 
talking to people, talk to a hundred people uh, who are either, you know, maybe half of them already have coaches and ask them how their experience is going or how it was to finding that coach. And the other half are turning into leaders and what they're looking for that's missing. Um, and then coming up with letting yourself go crazy with all the possible solutions and then honing in on one. Oh, I love it. All right. Sounds good. Um, and how many people do I talk to? Keep a goal that's realistic for yourself. So if it's five people a week, maybe, you know, the best way to set these up is identify like 20 and send an email to all 20 of them on Monday morning so that they're booking time that week or next week. Then two weeks later, you do the same thing, you know, and keep track of all the information and the data you're collecting. Um, There's a lot of tools out there today for customer discovery, and I can send them to you after. But honestly, start with the Google Sheets, date interviewed, person interviewed. (laughs) <laughs> questions asked key takeaways and then you'll you'll see like you'll start realizing these patterns that come up or the same pain points that people are talking about i love it um how many <laughs> so i'll say i mean i'll say like make 100 your goal right a hundred wow so right. do five right. to ten a week it'll take a couple weeks but at the same time every time you have a conversation your wheel's gonna fly a little bit your questions that you ask the next person might be a little bit different mm. Um, and it's just a great way to, by the end of it, the conviction you have in your idea, like it's unparalleled and you just have a clear direction for, okay, now I know what the MVP that I need to test is without building anything still right now. You're building no code tools. You're not hiring a dev agency still. So that's the one yeah. thing I always tell founders. Like, I know you really want to build and like get it out, but make sure yeah. that the problem really exists for other people too. And mm. the solution that you're building speaks to that problem versus being tangential to it. All right. So I guess uh, if you're listening and you like my idea, actually, no, if you don't like my idea, it's, it's fine too. Give me, shoot me an email, give me some feedback, sign up to an interview with me. I'll ask you about uh, how your leadership growth is going and whether you have a coach or not, please uh, let me know. Yeah. And you never tell them what your idea is when you start the conversation with these people. Uh, that's story, right. Because then it's leading and everyone's going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, but no, that's definitely, true. definitely that's, that's a great place to start. And throw up a landing page with your ideal, like the thing that you think is the solution and see mm. how many people get excited about it and put their email in, start creating. Mm. Love it. Um, so what after that? After that, so after you've done your customer discovery, you've really thought about it, you know, you've nailed down, I think this is the solution I want to build. How can you replicate what the end product you want to build in, again, the most minimal way? And there's a really great image of a minimum viable product that it's not like a wheel and then the, the steel frame. It's actually to get to the car. It's actually a skateboard. Then it's a scooter. Then it's a bicycle. And then it's the engine, right? So it's like, the most, mm. how can you break it down to still do the thing that you want without all of the bells and whistles that the final product will have? So if you're mm-hmm. thinking AI ML, to get there, you need a lot of data and a lot of users and a lot of testing, right? But how do you start with that is potentially maybe it's an intake, simple thing as an intake form about the person with them sending you a recording and you can kind of, you are, you are acting as the AIML because your brain is mm-hmm. probably smarter than any AIML currently, right? So you're, you're listening to them talk, you see their videos, you're understanding who they are, how they speak to themselves. You ask those questions in a form and now you are that robot that same you're speaking back to them in the way that they like to be spoken to and you just test it out see how it goes how did where did it go and then the next step to test is are you going to pay to meet me in person now 
and you have lined up already a couple of coaches, who's going to be the best fit for them based on that experience? Test their willingness to pay for it and just have a pilot. Pilot maybe with one company, maybe it's B2B to C. Is it even direct to consumer? Um, have a couple of pilots, see how they go. If they go well, you start building the product with a little bit more, you know, put some money in it, put some money in it now, get get some technical people involved on your team. Um, Love it. It is, it is, a, there is somewhat of a process, but everyone will tell you they got to where they are differently. But this is the <laughs> over and over again. Nice. No, I loved it. This is very insightful. Like, um, you have awesome ideas. And so, at what point do I come to an accelerator or to your platform potentially, right? As a founder? Yeah, I think accelerators, fellowships, all great um, when you are ready for just community. And I don't think there's a too early start for that. Think what you should try to avoid is putting pressure on yourself to get into XYZ accelerator and then thinking like oh, I didn't get in, which kind of reels you back a couple steps just emotionally. So I think you don't need them. You really don't need them. The the thing with accelerators is they're great rocket like jet fuels. But you gotta have a little bit of the thing built before you get that jet fuel. So they're there to help market you, they're there to help make introductions for you but they're not going to do this customer discovery for you. You still have to do that. So I think once you get to a point where you know what you want to build, kind of have an idea for the MVP, you can pitch that to them. It's a great time. But there are communities like Day One, like On Deck, who are even earlier than that, right? You just want to see how other people have done it. Like all the stuff I'm talking about are, are playbooks that they've kind of given to people who are still discovering, exploring. So when you want community, join a fellowship. When you're ready for the rocket fuel, think about an accelerator. Um, and if you don't need funding and you can bootstrap it, that's the way to go. Like <laughs> you can avoid the VC path, um, your equity and just keep building it slowly. Um, which reminds me, there's also like non-dilutive funding nowadays. Where do people get that? And non-dilutive means that you don't have to give a piece of the pie away, correct? You don't have to give up any equity for non-dilutive funding. Yeah. There are many, many ways to do this. Um, if you are a consumer product, so direct to consumer, you can do a crowdfunding and have people kind of put down a deposit and promise to deliver it to them in six months in a year without giving up any equity. So if you think you have the chops for marketing and campaigns and can build a good wait list, that's a great option for you. Really think about it. Um, another way of non-dilutive funding is looking for grants. So there's a, there's a website called O-Grants, Open Grants is the full name. They've compiled, thanks to them, compiled grants from all over, from the National Science Foundation to corporations that have grants now, all in one place you can filter and sort. So look through those. Pitch competitions is a third thing. If you feel like you can put the deck together, even if you have no product built out, but you can put it all on the deck and talk about it for three minutes apply to pitch competitions, right? Your university probably has them wherever you graduated from. Um, I know VC firms have them. Even corporations will have pitch competitions. So look at those. They're always almost always non-dilutive. Um, yeah, I think those are the top three ways. Um, sometimes you look at geography and cities. Cities like Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'll put in a plug for them. Um, we'll pay you money to come and build your company from there and we'll help you find a nice. home and help you find employees. So look at some programs like that too. Um, but yeah, don't Love think it. that VC is your only option. It's def definitely not. Um, and there are ways to 
start getting cash in the bank without um, giving up any equity in the early days. Love it. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Um, you gave us so much in this interview and the knowledge that you have collected around um, the VC world, the startup world and the funding. It's, it's amazing. I can see you're going to be extremely successful with your company. I'm super excited to follow you. Super excited to hopefully be an angel investor in your company when you're looking for one. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> um, but definitely, like, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge here. Uh, I hope this helps a lot of founders, a lot of people that are thinking about ideas and thinking about taking the plunge and really like going for it. Definitely has me helped me talk through my idea. Um, and as you can see, like not all ideas, I mean, I don't expect my idea to be great, but not all ideas work out. Some will work, but also like, don't be afraid of like just putting yourself out there. Just like I did is like a half-baked thing that I've given some thought, but um, here I am, you know, pushing it out. Uh, so just like uh, involve yourself and make sure that you're following those dreams and chasing those dreams. Alifia, Alifia, any last words for the audience? Uh, anyone who's thinking about building, I'll say, you know, the, the, the journey and the process is difficult, but it is so rewarding and it teaches you so so much one thing that i realized after being in involved in the industry is your first idea doesn't have to be doesn't have to be it right you're going to have probably 10 15 ideas but the way you test it in the early days you don't have to say i'm quitting my job to test this first idea like, don't do that right there's ways to kind of make sure that that's the one you want to commit to but don't let the don't think that just to be an entrepreneur you have to give everything up and start from like right away there's many ways to do a lot of different things have three jobs and test an idea right? <laughs> to make it happen for yourself. So dip your toes in it, get excited about it for yourself, do it for yourself. I think it's a great, um, great side hustle to have. Um, and yeah, if by the time you watch this, we're live on closed round. So go check us out, go become an investor on the platform, go put your startup out there, start tracking your, your success and, and reach out. To if you have any questions, you want to brainstorm some ideas, want to see about how you can take the next step totally here to chat awesome thank you so much and thank you for coming on the podcast yeah. thank today. you marina this is amazing what you're doing and thanks for bringing all these women um in, in this in chicago together so <laughs> thank you yeah. thank you so kind Woo! there you have it I hope you liked this episode and please don't forget to share, like, comment on the podcast link. Tell all your networks and friends and family about it. Submit a recommendation for guests at Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Donate by clicking on the anchor link and help me continue to make great episodes. You can find all this information on www.embossed.io. See you next time. Oh, that was good.